Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. There's a word in Japanese called ikigai. And an ikigai is the definition of your purpose in life. And the ikigai is where three things intersect. What you love doing, what you're good at doing, and what the world needs. So a lot of times when you're a kid, people say that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? But the better question is, what problems do you want to solve when you grow up? Hello, my U-Turn friends. It's Ash here, and I'm so excited to bring someone on the podcast who so many of my friends have told me they love so much, and I love her bio on her website. It says she's a fire hose of inspiration, so get ready for it. I'm bringing Kathy Heller onto the podcast. She is the host of the Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast, helping so many people in her business through challenges as a business coach helping you start that business. And I thought she would be the perfect person to talk about how you can explore making some money on the side, whether you start on an all out business or you just keep it as a side hustle. And we could talk a little bit also about how to figure out what you want to do with your life, just all of the topics. Kathy, thank you so much for making the time. Oh, it's totally a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. I, I'm always in awe of when women do well online because I know how much opportunity there is there, but when you're looking at where you're at in your business right now, what do you think it is that has created so much success for you? I think one of the things that I would say is people often want a very big number of followers, right? Like people want that vanity metric. You know, I think we have a lot of ego in it and we feel like people sort of value us or devalue us, you know, depending on how many followers we have. And I think one of the main things that has made me successful is not necessarily worrying about the numbers, but really the engagement. And I think mm-hmm. that we need to understand that if you have a really small following of 2200 people, but they're with you and they feel seen by you and you really connect with them and understand their pain points. You could be making millions with a, a, a tiny, tiny group of human beings who really feel that they trust you and get you. So I've really come kind of come to understand that sales is intimacy. Um, it's not mm-hmm. a numbers game. It's a people's game. And that has, you know, that's been the through line in everything I've done from my courses to my podcast to, to every single thing I put out there. It's always really from the heart. You know, my very first webinar I ever did, there wasn't a single slide. I was just me. I was pregnant with my third daughter. I was hot. It was the summer and I was just talking and telling my story and listening and 
sharing. And at the end of that very first webinar, I said, if you want to join me, you know, here's the offer. And I made $147,000. And Mm. I was like, wow, that was, that was cool. You know? And then I did it again and made 441 grand. And then I did it again and made 750. And then I started to really like iterate and create new offers and understand people and take more risks and, and get to my own edge and push past my, push past my own comfort zones. And, and, and I started making multi-millions a year, but really from a standpoint of radical empathy. And part of the radical empathy is not just having empathy for other people, but for yourself. I think that going back to this first point I'm making about the engagement piece is it's really important. You know, it's very easy for anyone to make a perfectly curated feed or a perfectly beautiful graphic, you know, and we're so used to seeing that, that we forget that the thing that every human being is in need of is to feel like they are seen and to not feel Mm -hmm. alone. And so we lose the humanity. And instead, I think when we have empathy for ourselves as well as other people, then we don't have shame if we don't have the perfect hair. We can still go live. We don't have shame if we don't have the perfect marriage. We don't have shame if we're not eating the perfect avocado toast, drinking a martini with the perfect bathing suit on. We can just show up. And the more that we show up and raise our hand and lead and share what we are excited to share and make a space for other people, magic will happen because there's nothing to prove, you know? So I think that that's been really tremendous in kind of making a lot happen in a short amount of time. Mm, I love listening to this. And I also am just thinking about this survey that I read this morning by Flex Jobs and Mental Health America. It talked about how 75% have ex- uh, of people have experienced burnout at work with 40% saying that they have it during this pandemic specifically. Yeah. Um, and almost the majority, 37% of the workforce right now is working longer hours, hours than usual since the pandemic began. I totally get it. Like as an achiever and like hardworking person, it's like as soon as my social life went out the window due to COVID and not leaving the house, I was like, oh my gosh, white space on my calendar. Might as well fill it with some more goals. So I'm curious, like, how are you, how do you take care of yourself? Do you have any rituals or practices that you feel like have been huge for your clarity on like what your purpose is, what your mission is, what your next thing is? Like, how do you tune into that or channel that creativity? Well, very recently I made some huge adjustments. I think part of what you're saying, which is actually a a major gift, is that we are having a tremendous pattern interrupt with COVID, Mm -hmm. which is forcing us to take a hard look and say, what is sustainable? What do I really want? Where do I really want to live? What relationship do I really want to have? And how do I really want to show up every day? We're kind of getting out of the sort of hamster wheel and, and we're being told to stop and look. And what I saw is that I, I built a life for myself living in Beverly Hills in a beautiful $4 million home, ready to buy the $6 million home and having very little quality of life because Mm -hmm. I felt a tremendous um, influence by the atmosphere of living in Los Angeles and we didn't have a tremendous amount of space. We just had a pretty house. Right. And I I didn't really feel a lot of space energetically. And so we just moved actually to South Florida. And now 
I am in a sports bra and spiritual gangster sweatpants every day. There is a bike ride or a jacuzzi in every afternoon. There's an ocean right here as part of my day-to-day conversation with the universe. And I'm so grateful that I, you know, pushed the eject button and said, I need to have quality of life. And so it's huge. I really do feel like we all have such an upper limit. And I think we basically reach for the highest branches we can see. And as, as children, often our parents model for us, you know, a very small and very difficult path, which usually looks like, you know, you can have an okay marriage, you can have an okay job and anything that you would dream of that's not quote unquote realistic. It's not quote unquote practical. If you want to make a lot of money, you have to work hard. You have to sacrifice your health, yourself, your marriage, your kid, right? There's a lot of stories like that that are told. And so at one point, I think the story I told myself is, oh my God, I can have, I absolutely can have an epic career. You know, look what's happening. And I'm a mother, but of course I have to sacrifice my well being. Yeah. And then it was like, wait a minute is this another ceiling that I can also sort of expand past, which is how about let it be even easier than that? You know, Tim Ferriss has a four hour work week model. I don't quite have a four hour work week, but I'm telling you at this moment, I am living in a 6,000 square foot house in South Florida, which is less than half of what I spent on my house in LA. And I'm working two to three hours a day, making millions of dollars. And the reason I can just say that out loud is because I want people to really see that as a model. I don't think that women share enough. And it, for me, it's not look at me. It's like, come with me. Let's do this. Like this is available. Why? I, I've, I've heard it said that there's an idea in the Talmud. The Talmud is like a 3000 year old, beautiful Jewish text. And it says that the very first question that God asks you when you arrive in heaven is to answer for every pleasure that was put in this world that you did not let yourself taste. Mm. And so I think that we deprive ourselves of the, the gift of what it is our birthright. Like I think the birthright of every human is the allowing of the blessing and the greatest, most amazing up level. And yet we cut it off at the pass. We resist it. We resist it because we tell ourselves a story that it's not possible, or we tell ourselves a story that we're not worthy. And so we have an upper limit and it really doesn't need to look like that. Like you can ask yourself better questions. You can tolerate less and you can get resourceful and you can start to take full full permission for what you've been assigned to do. I have to say that in the work that I do, the podcast is almost at 20 million downloads in three years. And I've gotten to talk to hundreds of thousands of fans. And the number one thing that I see that's missing is that people feel unworthy of taking their seat at the table. And what I want people to know is you have been assigned. If you are here, you have a divine assignment Mm -hmm. and you matter and you're needed. And instead of saying, who am I to do this? It's kind of like, who are you not to do it? That is your job. It's your job to be available. It's your job not to worry about like, am I good enough? It's like you're being called on to listen to that whisper and show up and serve. And I think that when we really get that, as soon as we're available, it's amazing how the opportunities flood in. 
I love that. It's so inspiring to hear you like owning what you've done. And I think that's such a, um, it's interesting. Like I think about women in salary negotiation and a lot of what comes up for me is, you know, yes, there's disparity in the numbers, but there's also something to the fact that the research is indicating that men are more fearless in sharing their achievements than women. And so obviously, uh, and they're also more fearless to ask you know, just from a gender standpoint and data standpoint. And so I, I really love it when I hear a woman who's created success and they, they're able to say what it is, you know, like, I don't know what it is in society, but it seems like we're almost trained to act like it's no big deal or it somehow happened. And like, you know, we're lucky or something like that. And it feels really nice to hear how much you feel like you've co-created this in your own way. And and I want to know for anybody listening just around like figuring out their life purpose. One thing I read in your bio that I absolutely love was you said the opposite of depression is purpose. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are hungry for that right now and reflecting and stuck at home kind of thinking about that. What are a couple starter thoughts or questions you have for your clients or people who are taking your challenges, which I know you have one coming up I want to ask you about? What what do you share for people to kind of get that moment where they realize what their assignment is? Because Sometimes it can feel really foggy. Yeah, it feels foggy for a couple reasons. So first of all, there are a few ways to figure out what your assignment is, what your purpose here is. And it absolutely is true that purpose is what we are all seeking. We want meaning in our life, right? Like when there's pain, but there's a purpose, all of a sudden, the pain is meaningful. It actually turns into something beautiful. Like when you're in labor, right? You're having a child, it's painful, but it has a purpose. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's no bitterness, even if there's pain. Do you understand the difference? It's very different. It's a very different experience. So we don't mind as human beings to go through struggle. Like being a human on this planet means you will experience pain, but suffering is different. So pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And suffering comes when there's pain without purpose. It's unnecessary, right? Mm. So we need purpose. We, we wake up knowing that we need to be needed. And it feels the best for us to give to other people. And that's when we feel the most expressed, right? So how do we figure out what that is? Well, it's a couple different things. It's either your pain oftentimes our pain turns into our purpose. You know, if you've struggled with postpartum depression, you might be the perfect person to help women out of that space. Mm-hmm. If you've struggled with weight your whole life and it was like an emotional eating experience, you might be the, the best person out there to help other women with that struggle. It just depends, right? There are people who they can't stand animal cruelty, And so that pain compels them to do something in the vegan space, right? It just, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing could be the thing that is your joy, right? Like when you were a child, like Gretchen Rubin was on my podcast, we talked about happiness and she said, you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit. Like what did you do as a kid that lit you up? Were you playing cello? Were you organizing a, a little theatrical play outside? Were you writing, reading, playing basketball? There's something that you know, there's a clue there. Now, why don't people follow these clues? Because it's so much more convenient to say, I don't know. I don't know leaves you no responsibility, right? If I keep saying, I don't know what my thing is, then I don't have to take any action. Now, why is that convenient? Because everyone who's listening, including you and me, by the age of 10, 
12, 15, 22, we've experienced tremendous grief. Either someone died or somebody left or someone broke our hearts. And we, we come up with a strategy when that happens. And the strategy is, oh, I know what I'll do in order to never feel the pain I just felt ever again. I won't reach too far for anything. I won't put myself out there. I won't love too deeply. I won't dream too far. And so that keeps us safe, except it doesn't because our soul is on fire. So we know, and we we don't want to say we know, we want to say, I don't know. So one other thing that's important though, is there's a word in Japanese called ikigai. And an ikigai is the definition of your purpose in life. And the ikigai is where three things intersect, what you love doing, what you're good at doing, and what the world needs. So a lot of times when you're a kid, people say that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? But the better question is, what problems do you want to solve when you grow up? Because if you want to be in business, if you want to serve, then it can't just be about us, right? So what I like to do with people is I like to say, what do you love doing and where is the overlap in what you love and a problem that you can solve with what you love? Mm. And if you can find a way to solve a problem in the energetics of what you love, you never work a day in your life because you're doing something you love and you're solving problems and it's awesome. Mm. So to give you an example, like when I was a, when I was a kid, I loved to sing and my parents had a really bad marriage and eventually had a really even worse divorce. And they broke up and my mom was very depressed and tried to commit suicide twice. And I learned so much about depression because I was like living amongst it. And I wanted to grow up and go far away. And I wanted to be a rock star. And I moved out to LA and I got a record deal. And I, I was sitting in Sunset Sounds and Lady Gaga was recording paparazzi. And I had just gotten signed to Interscope and I couldn't believe I was there. And Three months later, I got dropped from the label and I went and got a a couple day jobs and I was pretty unhappy. Mm. And I asked myself a question, which is, if I love doing music and I don't want to have an all or nothing life, either Beyonce or bust, right? Either Beyonce or here I am working at a nine to five corporate job, right? Which I hated. How can I do music and solve some problem with the music, right? So I started thinking like, where is their problem to solve? And then we get to choose our fishing hole, right? There's always a customer in a different fishing hole. So like there are people that go to the 99 cent store and there are people who shop at Whole Foods, right? There's, there's room for both, right? You get to choose your fishing hole. So I started thinking, well, if I want to do music, what are the options? I could, you know, open up a guitar case and play on the sidewalk and try to make $8 a day from people passing by. That's, one level of a problem I could solve, right? Like just like creating better atmosphere on, you know, third street promenade in Santa Monica. Okay. Not the best fishing hole. And then I start asking myself like, where else could I use what I do to solve real problems? And a friend of mine said, have you ever thought of writing music for film and television? Because there are people every day who are sitting down with a script and they're looking for you. They have a problem that needs to be solved. They need a song for the opening scene. They need a song for the middle of the movie. And I'm like, whoa, let me think about that. So my very first real success was working as a songwriter for one whole decade and writing music for Hasbro, Walmart, Target, Disney, Netflix, shows like Pretty Little Liars, Criminal Minds. I literally for a decade made it my job 
to figure out where there were people who needed songs written. And I wrote songs for 10 years and I made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And I never worked. I didn't work for a decade because it was the funnest thing ever. And then the next thing I saw, I saw was all these other artists asking me if I could help them create a career because they were starving and they were songwriters. And I started to do it for free once, you know, a week, twice a week, someone would call. It was totally organic. And then I said, wait, there's a problem to be solved here. And could I open the door and say yes to solving that problem? Maybe I might like it. So I start teaching people and I start an online course called six figure songwriting. And that was the course I mentioned before it, it made a, a boatload of money in the first year. And then I really liked it. And then I said, well, what are the other problems I could solve? And then one of my students said, why don't you start a podcast that helps any person figure out how to make a living with something they love doing? And I called it, don't keep your day job. I created this podcast. I was like, let's see how that does. And every single episode, I asked myself the same question. What's the pain point of my listener? What should the topic be? Who should the guest be? What should the conversation be about? How many tactics can we give them? How many takeaways can we give them? And it blew up and Apple featured it five times in the first year, right? Not even like new and noteworthy, like literally featured it in the in the top like scroll bar where there's like a carousel of like nine shows and it's like Malcolm Gladwell and Jenna Fisher and then me. It was like ridiculous. So I kept asking that question. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I wanna make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash Clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash Clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And I, you know, you almost bringing together the two TED Talks I did. So the first one um, is called Three Questions to Unlock Your Authentic Career. And the three questions are, what am I good at? What do people tell me I'm good at? And what's holding me back? Mm. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is like looking at how are you getting in your own way? You know, like you were talking about the devil we know is easier than the devil we don't, right? Like there's a comfort zone to not knowing because we don't have to do anything. Um, But I also was paying attention to something you kind of mentioned that I go through in my other TED talk that I just gave, which was follow what feels good. And it's the simplest thing in the world. But like, for some reason, we're not necessarily trained in our society to follow these little breadcrumbs or these nudges that we feel. Yeah. And it seems like you've been very experimental in your career where you follow what feels good. And then it kind of reveals the next thing to you, which I'm such a believer in. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, the truth is that there is a synchronicity that's undeniable in the world. Yeah. And when Martha Beck was on my podcast, we talked about how she was a professor uh, at Harvard and she was a sociology professor and she couldn't believe how many millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people were choosing to live lives that they hated voluntarily. Like people yeah. in free societies who were choosing to suck the joy out of their day. Yep. And she said, it doesn't make sense. And what you do find is that when you spend time listening to that little whisper, there's a reason it's there. I actually, you know, in Jen Sincero's book, she talks about the word desire and that desire is a Latin word from 
de ire, right? Which actually means of the father, meaning every desire that's put inside of you was, was put there by God himself. So it's a clue as to what you're supposed to do. And the path is the path of the courageous because you get to follow these breadcrumbs, as you said, so well, and then there will be a clue if you're willing to take that journey in, in fact, when Angela Duckworth was on my podcast, she wrote a book called Grit, and we talked a lot about how do people figure out what their thing is. And she said, you know, two-thirds of the population doesn't know. So she said, instead of saying, well, how do I discover it? She said, use the word develop. Because every successful person, they start in one place, and then the scavenger hunt just takes them to the next clue and the next clue. And this is where I like to tell people that they have to have the courage to be mediocre yes. because what it's going to take for you to actually find this ultimate amazing feeling of bliss is iteration. It's beta testing. It's starting in one place and moving to another. And if you look at successful people, how many businesses has Elon Musk started and stopped, right? It's like, that's the point. Steve Jobs started with one calligraphy class. He sat in a calligraphy class and he looked at these beautiful different kinds of, of typesets. And he said, I'm obsessed with fonts. And he started playing with fonts. And then next thing he knew, he said, what if I could create a, a computer that was beautiful, where the entire machine was beauty? And his first desire was making something that was beautiful. Mm. And then it became useful too, right? The, the Mac, you know, dominates now in terms of its efficiency. But at, at first it was really about these, these, these typefaces. So look where that leads. And I think what it goes back to is a word that we need to get rid of in our life, which is shame. You know, regret is beautiful. It's really healthy to say, I shouldn't have done that. I wouldn't do that today. I'm glad I'm looking back and, and sort of taking an accounting of my life and I'm going to go forward and, and build on it. But shame is this thing where it's like, I can't believe you did that. That's so embarrassing. Look what you did. You know, anything you, you saw that was a shame for your parents, maybe you in, ingested, but it's from the outside in. And the reason I'm saying that is because we have so much shame around being publicly messy. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to post something unless I know for certain that this is going to be my job for the next 10 years and I'm going to be flawless at it. I don't want to create a podcast unless it's going to be perfect. I don't want to mention this thing. unless it's like, wow you're really denying yourself then the entire journey because That's being a human. <laughs> right. And I mean, all the people that you can admire in any industry, whether it's Serena Williams or Andy Warhol, any person, you have to begin where you are. So Mozart wasn't Mozart on day one, right? It takes a little time. If you look at Picasso's work and everybody can, you know, flash in your mind right now on what Picasso's work looks like. But go and look at his work because it took him like 30 years to begin to create the kind of things that we now think of as a Picasso. His original stuff looks a lot like Renoir or Monet. He was just copying other people and then he found his path. So why don't we allow ourselves to do that? Because we don't have the courage to be messy. And if you don't have the courage to be messy, how are you ever going to get better at tennis? How are you ever going to get better at anything? Look look at the original videos that Gary Vaynerchuk posted on YouTube and you'll be amazed. And then you realize that what people have in common, the cost of admission to success is simply courage. It's not having, you know, the most 
IQ, the most in your bank account. It, it's, it's just the courage to iterate. And if you can take away the shame and say, I'm a hot mess like everyone else, you can do amazing things because the brilliant stuff will slip through because it won't be able to help it. Oh, so powerful. I feel like I'm literally in a church right now. And you know, it's so interesting. (laughs) I met this guy, Dan Sullivan, who um, runs like a life coaching mindset school. And he said, fear is wetting your pants, but courage is doing what you're supposed to do with wet pants. And it's just so true. It's like, I don't understand where this like adopted mindset has come where people look at people out there who are doing big things and think to themselves that their nervous system must not be activated or they Mm. must not be nervous. It's just the opposite. And I also, as a career coach, I've been at this a decade and I still uh, wonder often, like, where did we all grow up with the belief that we should just think our way into clarity? Like, we're just going to think it. Oh my God, it doesn't work, right? The clarity comes from the action, only from the action. It's kind of like going into the wedding dress shop and thinking that you can just look at it and know. It's like you have to try it on, zip it all the way up, right? And then you stand in the mirror and you're like, oh my God, from the rack, this one was like nothing, but now that I've put it on, I love this one, yeah. right? Like it, you have to dive in, get your hands in it. And, and the thing is that our natural state is freedom. And when you look at a classroom of three-year-olds, there's no three-year-old that doesn't let themselves be messy. They got paint up their nose on their sleeves, chalk in their hair. Somewhere along the way, we feel a sense of shame that we didn't get the grade, we didn't achieve, we did, and we stop being ourselves at the cost, right? At the cost of having a life never lived, we get to play it safe. And what's interesting is the number one regret of the dying is people saying, I didn't live life on my terms. Mm-hmm. And Ethan Hawke just did a TED talk. Did you see it? No, but now I'm, I'm about to. <laughs> it was so good. It's all about creativity. And he talked about his grandmother and how at his grandmother's, um, at her passing, for the last few weeks before she died, she wrote 30 pages of an autobiography. She was just like in the hospital, and she was, which is amazing, that just the fact that she did that. And he said, you know, she lived this very long life. And in 30 pages, she spent five whole pages talking about the one summer where she sewed costumes for a theater. Mm. Five pages on costumes, 25 pages on each of her children, her grandchildren, her husband, all the different places she had lived, the wars she had gone through. Five pages on the costumes. And so he said, that really made an impression on me that that was the one time in her life she was feeling like she was being her. She was expressing herself. And what a shame that she only let herself do that for a summer. Yeah. Wow. And that's what was resonating with her at the end of her life, right? So what is the point of a life not lived, right? And so it really comes down to when people tell me they have a business problem, I say it's a courage problem. Yep. And I try to be what's called, you know, like a radical encourager just to say, you can do hard things. And the truth is like, we've all been through way harder things than somebody not liking it. I mean, the truth is that here, here's a good piece of information. There are already people who don't like us right now. Yep. There are people sitting right now who, if they were to think about us would be like, eh, not my thing. There are people who don't like Jerry Seinfeld. 
There are people who don't like, um, I don't know, Italian food. So it's like, you can't win everybody and you don't want to, right? You just need to show up for the people who are your people. You know, when you get off the bus at summer camp and you meet three girls and you go, you're my girls and you stay with those people all summer, those are your people. And for some reason, the rest of the camp, it's just, eh, you can take them or leave them, right? You only need a few. And so in the scheme of seven and a half billion, it's like, just find your girls at summer camp and let the rest do what they're going to do. Like, we don't need everybody to like us. And those three girls, they want to see us get messy. You know why? Because when we're, who do you want to go on a trip with? The person who's perfect or the person who says, I'm a hot mess. Let's go. Let's all be together. Right. It's like, do you want to be, do you really want the friend who's like, I have the perfect marriage, the perfect life, the perfect health, the perfect workout routine. It's like, get away. Like I'm, I'm, I can't be around you, you know? And then, you know, you come back to yourself and you say, why can't I let myself be seen? You know, there's so much waiting for us. And this is what I said when we you were first asking me about, you know, how do you find balance and all that? I think this upper limit is, I think that the, the spigot is on full blast with the blessing that God wants to give us. And I think there's just so much resistance because we have this feeling of like, who am I to receive this blessing? So like, I'll just keep telling myself a story that it doesn't exist, that there's no room for me. There's no clients for me. There's no money for me. And you know what? I want to say one more thing about money because you said it before, how like men can talk about their accomplishments. Women can't necessarily, not as well. I think that there's a lot of baggage around money and also around talking about the things you love, right? It's like, oh, don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited. Don't be boastful. Like there's so much shame. That's all shame, by the way, right? And when Barbara Corcoran was on my podcast and she's a billionaire, we were talking about money and she said, money is like blood in the body. It needs to keep moving. So she said, I don't hold on to my money. She said, every single time I make money, it comes in, it goes right back out. I spend it in the world. I buy another building. I give it away. I hire someone else on my team. So it's, it's not mine. It's I'm keeping the economy moving. I'm keeping the abundance moving. I'm, I'm putting it right back into the world. That's the difference. So really, when you think about people who have a lot to say about like, oh my God, I can't believe you talk about how much money you make. There's a scarcity mindset there, right? Yeah. So you can have money and be greedy, which is scarcity. It's I got to hold on to it. Oh my God, I'm so, I'm so insecure. I got to talk about it. There's a lot of you know, scarcity there. Or you could be poor and have a scarcity mindset. There's no money out there. There's no money for me, right? Or you could be wealthy and have an abundance mindset where it's like, of course I could talk about it because I just see myself as a custodian of this and I want to keep it moving, right? Or you could have an abundance mindset and be a person who's poor and says, I'm really happy with what I have. I feel very full and I I love my life the way it is. It's like, great, perfect, whatever it is. But I'm just trying to show there is lack and scarcity in both camps. It's not you're a good person and you're poor, you're a bad person if you're rich or vice versa. It's really how you show up in the world. And I just think that's important to point out because I think there's just so much garbage around money and around having fulfillment and success. We're so, we have shame around even having it or talking about it. We should play small. We should shrink. It's like, how do you plan on getting it if you self-sabotage on some subconscious level? Cause you think there's something wrong with you. If you celebrate and enjoy what you have, that's mm-hmm. also a problem, right? 
Yeah. And it's, it's almost like one thing that I feel like this conversation is pointing to is also just around money and trauma. Like, you know, people who feel like they can't have something or they feel like low, their confidence is very low. It's like, what experience in your life are you holding on to and replaying? And, and what narrative are you buying into in your mind yeah, totally. from that experience that is you're carrying with you today? Because, you know, it, it is so powerful to keep repeating our thoughts and, um, and what a pattern interrupt just for anybody to even be listening to you. And, so let's say that somebody kind of um, has kind of flexed the courage muscle. They have a website or something for a business service they want to offer. They have clarity on what they want to offer. So let's say all of the clarity on their ideal client, their packages, what they're going to do is clear. And now they just want to get clients and they're kind of looking at the internet like, okay, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, like where do I, Yelp, like where do I go to get clients? What are a few different paths that you see for people to acquire leads. I know that paid traffic feels kind of advanced for some people who are just starting out where they're like, oh my gosh, I'm starting a business and now I need to figure out a Facebook ad or hire a person. So what insight do you have on like where you think the party's at for people with getting clients? So, I mean, as I said before, I think sales is really intimacy, right? So when you, you, you sort of zoom out on that, think about where you can create intimacy. Okay. So in a day, in a 24 hour window, if you weren't online, if you were out in the world, even before COVID, how many people could you really connect to in a day in 24 hours, just in the world? 14, 25. How many people can you sit down and talk to, right? Yeah. Online, you can meet more people, right? So already it's more efficient. However, let's say you post something on Instagram. How much intimacy is created through something you write? some degree of intimacy, I would say, if you're vulnerable and you write really well and you communicate your ideas and you let people in. What about if you post a video? That would be more intimacy, right? Now they see your face, they get a sense of like how she takes a breath and they get your energy and there's like more, more, right? It's just connecting more. What about a webinar? Well, if you do a webinar, now they get you for an hour, let's say. But you might be, you know, behind the slides and your little pictures in the corner somewhere and Okay. But that's more, it's more of you. It's a concentrated amount of time. What I like to do is five day challenges because five day challenges to me are five webinars, right? Five webinars, except it's all about the intimacy. So no slides. It's about creating a Facebook group, showing up every single day and creating real engagement. If you create real engagement with people for five days, you have a shot of making the biggest amount of money you've made because you've gathered people together. You're with them. They see you, you see them. And I have a whole bunch of things that I do to make sure that they feel seen and, and there's momentum created. And then you get to make your offer at the end. I actually make the offer on day four, not day five, because I think people expect it on day five. And I want to have day five to give them even more free value and also answer any questions about the offer from day four. But the point being that That is something that people really don't do enough of. And the way that I see it, if you're not live launching, if you're not doing five-day challenges every eight weeks, every 12 weeks, that is the equivalent of having a store on Main Street that is only open one day a year. Hmm. And when people don't sell something, again, it goes back to shame. It goes Hmm. back to, I don't want to be salesy. We got to change that around. If you're selling, you're serving, you're giving someone some, this guy came to my house the other day, you know, we just moved. So a lot of new people knock on the door and this guy comes over and he says, Hey, 
Um, I work for a eco-friendly pest control company. Can I earn your business? Blah, 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 blah. And he was excellent. And I decided to go ahead and give him a chance. And I said to him, you're really good at sales. And he said, you know why? Right away. He goes, you know why? He said, I'm the best salesperson actually in the entire company. He said, it's because I'm really passionate about what I do. And I knew when I knocked on your door, I know, like I know, like I know, this is actually good for you. He said, I saw you have a little bicycle outside. You have a a, a toddler. I said, yeah. He goes, I know having non-toxic pest control is really important. So he said, I don't feel like I'm selling you anything. I feel like I'm doing you a favor to knock on your door. And I believe a hundred percent that that is true because you could just see it coming out of his face. Like every way he talked, he was basically feeling morally obligated to make sure that he told me what they do. And it was a no brainer, right? There was a time when I was dropped from the record label. I was working for this guy in Brentwood who sold commercial real estate. And he told me to make phone calls to these like high principal net worth individuals to see if they want to invest. And I would call them and I had no problem calling them in the middle of the day. I didn't feel like I was bothering them because the guy I was working for owned $1.5 billion in real estate. And I knew that if he told me to call them and the cap rate, the return on the investment was like, it was crazy at the time. This was 2005, 2006. So the cap rates were like high, very, very high. The return on the investment was like 10, 10, 12%. It was insane. I was like, I'm doing them a favor to offer them the opportunity. One of my friends works as an alumni. Um, she, she gets money from alumni fundraising at UCLA. I said to her, how do you call these people to ask them for $5 million donations? She goes, it's easy. I said, why? She said, because I'm asking them, do you want to make a contribution to the art center or the science lab? But she said, that's not really the conversation. She said, the conversation is me offering them legacy because you can't buy legacy. But if you went to UCLA and you're in a position where you have this kind of money and your name goes on that lab, you forever now have this legacy, right? You have this importance. Can you buy that at the store? That's not for sale. So she goes, I feel like I'm giving them a huge opportunity. And holy crap, she's correct. So we have to change the way we think about sales and we have to sell. And in order to sell without selling, we have to create intimacy. So the most amount of intimacy we can create is during a five-day experience. And so what I like to tell people to do is plan that on your calendar first thing and work backwards from that. So if you're going to do a challenge, let's say right now it's August, you're going to do one in the end of September. All right. So you've got four to six weeks to get everybody you know into that challenge. So you start talking about it every single day on your Instagram stories. You start talking about it in your Instagram posts. You maybe start, you know, you can start running. Yeah, you can run a Facebook ad for like five bucks a day. If you don't know how to do that and it feels overwhelming, just boost the post that you make. Just boost it. Create a little Facebook page and boost the post for five bucks You know, every few days just to start getting people in. But even if you wind up getting 150, 300 people in that challenge, you're going to convert more people than you ever have in your life because you're creating incredible intimacy with them over five days. And then the more you do that, the more confidence you'll gain and it will just be awesome. Mm, So powerful and so simple. There's a simplicity to what you're talking about. Um, So let, you know, you were talking about boosting a Facebook post. Is there, I know that sometimes people feel like, should I post my sales page to LinkedIn or ask people to share it on Instagram? Like, is your answer all of the above or do you lead with just boosting a Facebook post? I mean, look, social media 
is designed to be social, right? So a lot of times people are annoyed that they're not getting where they want with their audience, but they're not there. That's like, you know, when you go to the, you watch that show Cheers from the eighties and, you know, everybody knows your name. That's because they go to the bar and they show up at the bar. Right. And then everybody knows their name. So that's necessary. And I, I actually think that should feel required. Like if you want people to buy from you, they need to know what you do. Marketing simply means communication. Marketing simply means that I communicate what I do to the people I do it for. So if you're not showing up consistently, it's going to be really hard that people find you somehow because you're not visible. So then it goes back to what limiting belief is in the way that you're not letting yourself be visible, right? Because you need to be visible. So I would say there are certain things that I make process goals every single week. Like you post on Instagram once a day and there are ways of connecting with people there. So every day on Instagram, not only do I post, but I comment on at least five, 10 people's things that I genuinely like. And and I don't just comment, but I ask them questions because I want to be social. And if you start having legitimate conversations every day and you show up on other people's feeds and they show up on yours, it starts to grow and there's momentum and there's crossover. I would also, if I was listening to this, I would be commenting and showing up in the feeds of people who are your competition because those people following those people are probably people who you can serve and answer questions from. And you should also be showing up and and collaborating with the people who are your competition and, and serving them and having them on your podcast or doing some live, you know, exchange on each other's platforms. There's so much to get busy doing. I think the biggest problem people have is they don't take any action. And when you don't, when you don't take action, there's no momentum. And in order to take that action, you just need You need like 20 seconds of courage. You need 20 seconds of like, this is scary, but I'm doing it. And if you do that every single day, 20 seconds of courage, you'll build a business that blesses you more than you ever could have imagined. Mm, I love that. And I do think that when I look back on my life, it's like most of my big moments were because I had that little tiny blip of courage to stand up and say hello, whether it's at an event or if somebody asks if there's any questions, it's that little second of courage, like I'm going to get up and ask. So I just, I love what you're sharing. And I know you have a challenge coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's going to look and who it would be great for so that anybody who's listening can go join? Yes. It starts August 31st, but you can join anytime during the five days. And I show up for five days every day. And if you don't even make it live, we send you the replays. We do watch parties. And essentially it's called Made for This. And we spend five days talking about what is your divine assignment and how can you make a living? And we go into more detail. So we unpack, you know, what are the steps to validating a business? What are the ways that you can make, make, make revenue right now during COVID? How do you start an online business? How do you start a podcast? How do you start an online course? What are the steps to take? What are the different ways that you can make money? What are the different business models? And, um, I, it, we did several of them already this year and it was very well received and I just give a tremendous amount away. And by the way, that's the other thing I would say to your audience. The reason I basically teach my heart out in these five days is because I don't think people pay for information. I think that people pay for implementation. So I, I give it all away and I tell people in my programs to give it all away. You know, Mm -hmm. the bottom line is people don't want a to-do list. They want a to-done list. Mm -hmm. And so if they want information, it's everywhere. There, there's no information that's not available. If you want to know how to build a table from Ikea or cook a souffle or learn how to build a funnel, it's all online for free. 
So Mm -hmm. why would you take a course from a chef? Why would you take a program from anyone? Why would you go to a yoga class? Because you want implementation. You want someone to keep you accountable and give you feedback. And so during the five days, I kind of give every single thing that I have that I can possibly fit into five days. And I think people feel very served by it. And there's a tremendous amount that they go and do whatever they want with it. And if they want me as a companion, then I offer them programs and I have programs that run for 12 weeks and I have memberships that are month to month. So there's lots of opportunities for them to stay with me, but I hope that they enjoy it. And I really enjoy it because for me, it's not just about the people who convert and take the program. It's about showing up for the 10,000 people who join that challenge because that continues to to do what I'm supposed to do, which is make the impact and do my assignment. And it's all, it's all good. Like that's my job. That's my job is to do that. It's, and I heard Marie Forleo say, you know, whatever she's doing, it's either free or it's expensive. And I love that. I love, you know, I love that I do a tremendous amount for free. You know, I record two podcast episodes a week. They, they both get published. I put out content daily on Instagram. We create tons of free, like I said, five day challenges. We do lots of different PDFs and opt-ins and stuff that's like really like I'm talking like six pages on here's everything you need to know to build your Etsy shop, to build your podcast, to do tons of stuff. And it's awesome. It's like, if I can do it, I'm here for it. And then if you want more and you want that accountability and implementation, I'm here to coach you. And I'm happy to come up with offers for that as well. Oh, Kathy, this has been so awesome. I'm I'm going to sign up for the challenge and I'm going to make sure that this releases the day of. So everybody, if you're listening, her challenge just went live today. So go on over, join. Is there a certain page that they can go to our website? Yes, you can go to kathyheller.com slash challenge and you can join us for five days. I'd love to have you. That's very generous of you to even share that at all. Woohoo. Thanks again for being here. You're a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I look forward to having you on my show. Hi guys, just reflecting on the episode with Kathy Heller and she has created so much success for herself and it makes me think a lot about how I used to see success in the world before I was an entrepreneur. I remember the first year I started my business, I told myself like if I can make 30K and I think I was making like $100,000 a year in corporate and I told myself if I can make 30K doing what I want to do on my terms, it's worth it and I know for some people, like, you know, making less money on your own wouldn't be worth it. For me, I was like, I would give anything for my freedom and for flexibility and to do something I actually fully want to be doing. And I remember thinking, like, 30K, that's the number. If I could do that, I'm so proud of myself. And I left corporate and my first year into career coaching, I ended up making more than I made in corporate, which was such a magical experience to show myself that I am capable of creating security for myself. And it's so interesting because for a really long time, I thought that job security and and career security was something you would find most likely in corporate. And that as an entrepreneur being in charge of making your own money, that's not a place where you can go for security. But what I've found over and over again is that there's a sense of security that I feel being able to earn for myself even more so than I ever felt in corporate because I knew that with the waves and changes of the workforce and the way the world can change that, you know, I could be on the chopping block. I could be laid off. You know, I think we saw with COVID-19 that 
the world changed quickly. And I know that quote that I'd mentioned that it takes some decades for weeks to happen. And then there's some weeks that decades happen. And right now we're in a time where over weeks and weeks, decades of progress is happening in the workforce. And I know that there's been a push for remote work. And now that is only going to be on the rise. I see with research indicating that about 50% of jobs after COVID-19 is complete, whatever that means. Um, we'll have some sort of hybrid work remote option. So, And we already have the rise of the freelancer. And so all of this is to say that I know deep down inside of me that every single person listening to this episode right now, you have something in you that you could charge money for. Whether you want to do that or not is totally up to you. So um, it could be as simple as the fact that you're a fluent English speaker or a Spanish speaker or a Chinese speaker. Any language skill you have, that's something that you can post on Craigslist, on Upwork, on Indeed, on anything and get clients. Or you can consider creating a Yelp profile where you give away a few free language lessons and you ask for a Yelp review or a testimonial for your website. There's so many ways to start building yourself up as a side hustle. And what I love about side hustles is that there's really no pressure. If you keep your job and you just start earning some money on the side, it's just, it's a pleasant passion project thing that you get to go do. Um, you don't have to put pressure on it. Um, but I personally found so much fulfillment in being able to take some part of who I was. In my case, it was a writer and turn that into a business because my career coaching business has many different facets. And obviously now with online courses and my Forbes column and, um, you know, my private practice and partnerships and my job as a spokesperson, there's so many, my my book is an author, making me an author. There's so many different roles. But ultimately when I started, I remember thinking, I'm a writer, I'm a communicator. And if I can just write and communicate all the time um, in one way or another, I'm being me. And so the question I have for you today at the end of this episode with Kathy is, how, what does it look like for you to express you in the workforce? What is a skill that you like to use? Is it communicating? Is it language? And how can you wrap a business around that, even if it's just a side hustle? And I can't encourage you enough to consider creating a little website for it or starting to collect Yelp reviews of people who've been impacted by the work that you're trying to monetize or offering free sessions to clients so that you can get a testimonial. Um, Whatever it is, it's so important that you're always growing. You know, when I think about growth, I think a lot about how I was hiking the other day and I saw this creek and the water looked like it hadn't moved for a while and there was all these like weird bugs and like dead things on it and I just thought like this is like people where we got to move to stay alive and I think there's something really powerful about using a side hustle as a vehicle for your growth and it doesn't have to be your end-all be-all it can be something that you change your mind about but it there's something about who you can become when you fully throw yourself into it um and I just want to support you with that. I know my my website, we have a course called the Business Launch Mastermind. It's pretty affordable um, at businesslaunchmastermind.com if you decide that you want to get support in starting a business. Um, it's only for you if it's a service-based business you want to start. It's not a good course for product-based businesses. So just be mindful of that if you're thinking about it. But even if you don't take the course, I think some of these tips in this episode with Kathy, and if you don't know what kind of business you want to start, just creating and nurturing a community on a topic that you're passionate about or interested in is a great start, Um, whether you want to create a LinkedIn group or a Facebook group. And I have an article on Forbes on how to create an engaged LinkedIn group. I would look it up. Um, 
just so powerful. We also had a podcast episode with Libby Crow about how to create an engaged Facebook group. Really powerful. Um, So all of these things are just things to consider and take a look at. I'm so honored that you're listening and wish you all of the magic with your side hustle. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has down the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.